that may be risen, um, and uh, so that would help out a lot if you could do that. Hopefully you have a, a copy of the lesson. If you don't, just uh, stick your hand up and make sure, sure Brother Andres or Brother Redway will make sure they get you one. Um, we're going to be starting a series tonight, and, and thank you, you, you definitely can be seated if I didn't say that already. Um, we're going we're gonna to start teaching um, again about discipleship, um, the we're really taking these lessons from a book that was written um, by um, Brother Stan Gleason. He is uh, the lead pastor of the Life Church in Kansas City, Kansas, and he's also an assistant general, general uh, superintendent of the United Pentecostal Church International. Um, the book looks like this. It's called Follow to Lead, All right, The Journey of a Disciple Maker. Follow to Lead, The Journey of a Disciple Maker. I would encourage you, um, if you can, uh, get this book. I it would it would uh, help you tremendously. It, it'll help you uh, understand what we're teaching. It might even help us uh, have a little more uh, in-depth conversation when we're teaching these lessons. Um, but we're basing the lessons. It's not word for word. I'm not going to sit here and just read the book to you. But we're basing um, these lessons over the next probably. It's going to probably be about nine lessons. There's 13 chapters in the book. We're going to combine a few chapters and try to work it that way. But probably about the ni next nine weeks or so. Um, uh, depending on how things fall, if we need to do a little bit more. Um, and this is the book. Again, it's called Follow to Lead, The Journey of a Disciple Maker by Stan Gleason. You can get it on Kindle. I think it costs like $14 um, on Kindle if you want to get it on Kindle. Um, again, it's a tremendous book. It's not required that you buy it, um, that you get it, but it definitely, um, especially all of our leaders, I would encourage you to do it. Um, I, I believe, and, and I know the Pastor Trine believes this, that God is going to send us um, just a net-breaking revival. Amen. In, in Luke chapter 5, uh, Jesus kind of demonstrated that to the disciples. Uh, remember when he, they had fished all night and he told them to, uh, they hadn't caught anything. They were cleaning their nets after he got done teaching. He said, now go out, launch out into the deep, and let down your nets for a draught. And um, so uh, this type of revival... Um, uh, to the disciples, uh, it, it, it spoke to them because many of them were fishermen, and it spoke to them. Uh, basically, um, when they when they got those nets out there and they dropped them out into the deep, they pulled fishes in, and they had to call another boat. And even after they called another boat, the net was still breaking. I believe that's the kind of revival that that God wants to give us. And when when Jesus got his disciples together in the the last time he got them together before he ascended back up into heaven, he told them how to accomplish that task, and it was called the Great Commissions. And within uh, the Great Commission, and within the Great Commission, uh, we find not only the mission, but we also find the method as well. Jesus didn't just say, "Go have net breaking revival," and not tell us how to do it. He really gave us the answer. And so, let's take a look at that in your in your lesson there, the scripture text. Is from Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. 
And then we're going to read also Proverbs 23 and verse 7, the first part of that. Um, again, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. He said, Go ye therefore. In other words, because all this power is given to me, now I'm giving you this power. And when I give you this power, you go. I'm empowering you. I'm entrusting you to go, therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Ghost. And we know that that name is Jesus. There's only one name, um, and that name is Jesus. Uh, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. And then if you read it in the New King James Version, it says, Go therefore, in the King James Version, it says, Teach all nations. In the New King James Version, it, sa it says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the, Ho and the Holy Spirit. So um, the teaching all nations really means to make disciples, and that's what we're going to focus in on. The title of our lesson being Follow to Lead. Uh, in lesson one, I'm just going to kind of entitle it Writing the Church Biography. Writing the Church Biography. Um, and uh, this is our text that kind of the whole series is based on. What I want to focus on tonight is in Proverbs chapter 23 and verse 7, just the first part of that verse. It says, for as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. As we think in our hearts, so we are. Now, those verses may not seem to relate very well to each other right now, but hopefully by the time we get done tonight, you'll be able to see the, the correlation, the, the connection that is there. Uh, number one in your notes, true, Roman numeral number one, true revival requires a culture of discipleship. True revival requires a culture of discipleship. Culture is defined as in, in the Merriam-Webster Online Dictionary, as the set of shared attitudes, values, goals, and practices that characterizes an institution or an organization. That's what culture is. What do we value? What attitudes do we value? What, what goals do we have? Uh, how do we do things? That's what culture is. The letter B in your notes, in order for the church to accomplish the task that is set before us to to make disciples, to to bring in this, to usher in this great revival, uh, then we must create within the church the right culture. And then we have to share that culture. We have to share the same attitudes, the same values, the same goals, and the same practices. We need to be on the same page. We share them with one another. It's 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 who we are. It's our identity. Does that make sense? The culture is who we are. It's, it's how we identify ourselves. And I'm thankful that we identify ourselves as apostolic. Amen. That we can go right back to the Bible and find our roots and find our identity. We identify ourselves because we believe what the apostles preached, what the apostles taught. We believe in having church the way the apostles had church. The way the early church had church. At least I hope we, I hope we, we, we believe in that. We believe in miracles and signs and wonders because they had them in the early church. And Jesus said, greater things will you do than the things that you've seen me do on earth. So in order for the church to be effective, letter D there in your notes, it must be more than just the pastor or key leaders to display those, those values, that culture. It starts at the top, 
The, the, any church is going to take on the culture of its leader. That's why we have vision casting. That's, you know, we're, we're following. If, if you are coming to church, you should be following the pastor, right? Um, the way the anointing flows is the same way culture should flow. Paul told the church to follow him as he followed Christ, and that's where. So uh, if the pastor and uh, the leadership team has a certain vision, a certain culture in mind, then the rest of the church ought to, ought to come into line. It, it, it should flow down. It should be the same. Does that make sense? Now, I'm not saying, letter E in your notes, that we need to be clones of the pastor. But we should follow the example that he sets. Amen? You don't have to be just like pastor. Preachers, you don't have to preach just like pastor. You need to preach the truth. You need to preach the same doctrine, but you may have your own style. Right? And if you're in a leadership position, you don't have to necessarily lead exactly like pastor leads, but you need to still have the same vision, the same culture, the same values that he has. Does that make sense? Amen. It's more important as leaders, letter, letter F in your notes there, it's more, it is important for us to lead more than in just what we say. Our example, I would say it this way, our example is more important than our words. They're both important, but they ought to match up. Because if I live out something, one thing, but I'm preaching something else, what's the old saying, practice what you preach? I destroy my credibility, right? Now, when we talk about culture, it really comes right down to the way that we do things, the way that we behave, the, the way we handle things, the, and how do we go about our business. Does that, does that make sense? We understand where we're at. Everybody understands where we're at. Letter H in your notes. The best way to improve results of any organization, you can go to any business, especially the bigger corporations, and the best way to, to improve results of an organization is to improve the culture of that organization. The ideas, the values, the way you do things. And, and what, what it was said, the, the definition of insanity is to keep doing the same things over and over and over um, and expect the same results, right? If you want to improve, you've got to do things a little bit differently. And one of the ways you do that is by developing a better culture. Amen. Jesus gave us the blueprint for the right church culture. The early church lived it, but through the years, as we look at church history, and this isn't in your notes, but as, as we look through church history, the church drifted further and further away from the blueprint. You can see instances where the church drifted away from doctrine. Now, there has always been a group of people that have believed the oneness message and the Acts 2.38 message of salvation. It's, it's been preserved throughout history, and that's why we're here today. But there have been voices that have spoken louder. There were many who were burned at the stake because of preaching the message that we believe now. But it's always been there. Uh, church culture today is way different than it was in the book of Acts. <laughs> but I believe we need to get back to the book of Acts culture. Because they did what Jesus initiated and what Jesus taught. Now, I'm not saying that everything we do is wrong. So please don't, don't take, I, I'm glad we have nice buildings with nice air conditioning and shelter from the rain and all those things. I'm glad, I'm glad we have that. 
Um, and I and I believe we have some fantastic moves of God. But I also believe that we can we can get back a little bit closer to the book and do some things a little bit better and be more effective in what we're doing. Amen. So specifically, letter I in your notes there, specifically, the church needs to develop a culture of disciple making. Again, we read it in the in the New King James Version, but when Jesus said to teach all nations, he was really saying for us to make disciples. Now, I don't want you to cheat by looking ahead of your notes, but I have a question for you. I want us to discuss this a little bit. We're supposed to be disciple makers. Well, what is a disciple? If I'm supposed to make something, I need to know what it is, right? So what is a disciple? Who's got an answer for me? Sister Veronica. Veronica. A follower of Jesus Christ? That's one. Yes, absolutely. What else? Anybody? What's a disciple? Sister Maria. So, absolutely. So we follow and we imitate. We, we practice what he practiced, practice what whoever we say we're a disciple of. In this case, we're talking about being a disciple of Jesus. So we follow him, but we don't just follow him around like some of the people in the Bible following him around just to see what kind of miracles he's going to do. We're following him around, and we're trying to be like him and do things the way he's doing things. Brother Sam. Me. <laughs> there you go. I hope so. I hope so. Anybody else? What is a disciple? Any, any other ideas? Did we cover it pretty well, you think? I, I think in essence we did. Um, a disciple, if you look up the definition of it, is really someone who accepts and assists in spreading the doctrines of another. Someone who accepts and assists in spreading the doctrines of another. So it is to follow, it is to put into practice what they do, what they teach. In order to be a disciple baker, number two there in your notes, um, I must first be a disciple, right? I've got to be a disciple before I can be a disciple maker. And being a disciple includes two things, according to the, defini the definition that I read to you just a minute ago. It means to accept the doctrine, which means to believe and obey it. Right? I, I've got to accept it. I've got to receive it. I've got to put it into action in my life first, as Sister Maria said. Uh, and, and Sister Veronica said, we, we've got to follow and we've got to practice it. We've got we've to put it together. We've got to do both of those things. And then the next part of being a disciple is also to spread the doctrine or to teach it to others. So I have to believe it, obey it, put it into practice, all those things in my own life, and then I need to teach others to do the same thing. Now, doctrine is more than Acts 2.38 and Deuteronomy 6.4. Now, doctrine is Acts 2.38 and Deuteronomy 6.4. Here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Right? That, that is doctrine. Um, but doctrine, number five in your notes there, is doctrine is more than just something that we must do, but it's something that we must live. Yes, we need to obey, and that's part of it, but we also have to, we have to, we have to live our doctrine. It has to be a lifestyle. Jesus, and then Jesus requires that we be more than just disciples. He requires that we are also disciple makers because he commanded us. That's the commission of the church. That's our whole mission. That's our whole purpose in existing as a church is that we can be disciple makers. Amen. So then not only are we to be disciples by accepting the doctrine and spreading the doctrine, but we are to develop others so that they begin to do the same. Amen. Number seven, if we really want to see revival, how many of you want to see revival? 
How many of you believe we're going to see revival? If we really want to see revival, then we must not only make disciples, but we must develop more disciple makers. Amen? Anybody feeling a little overwhelmed right now? You don't need to, because we're, we're going to talk about it, and that's what this whole series is about. How do we do that? How do we become disciple makers? Revival is, is more than just seeing a whole bunch of people baptized and receiving the Holy Ghost. Oh, boy. We get this picture of revival, and we're like, yeah, 500 people got the Holy Ghost, and we baptized 700 people, and that's great. That's awesome, and I hope that happens. Wouldn't it be awesome if we could see that happen in one year? I mean, that'd be amazing, right? And I believe it could happen. And we'd need a whole lot more parking, and we'd have to bust out that wall back there, and, and we'd be able to do it because if we have that many people coming, the, the, the God's going to provide for it. And, and I believe that it could happen, but, and I want that as, as much as, as possible. But if we want true revival, it's more than just people getting the Holy Ghost and getting baptized. <laughs> Let me tell it to you like this. Tr true revival is bigger than the people that I can reach. True revival is bigger than the disciples I can make. I texted pastor this morning uh, about that story in Luke chapter 5 that we talked about at the beginning. Jesus told the disciples to launch out. They caught so many they had to ask another boat for help. Wouldn't it be awesome if we had such great revival that we had to call the churches around here to say, hey, we need a little help. Wouldn't it be awesome if they started having revival and they had to call us for help? I mean, that's what Jesus was talking about, net break and revival. And, and, and I believe that's what God wants to give us, revival that is bigger than any one Christian, bigger than any one church. Amen? And all of that starts, number eight in your notes there, with changing our mindset, changing our culture. And as we talk about that, our mindset, changing our mindset, Roman numeral number two in your notes it says, thinking precipitates behavior. Proverbs 23, 7, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. All right, thinking, my mindset will precipitate my behavior. Now, discipleship, letter A, is all about helping people reach their God-given destiny. Would you, would you agree with that? It's helping, and, and if, if I help others to reach their God-given destiny, then the church is going to reach its destiny, Amen. So kind of tying it into the title that I said, which is writing the church biography, uh, letter B there, discipleship is really helping people write the autobiography for their lives that God would like to see written. Amen. I want God to write my story, but, but I, I, there's things I have to do to help him write the story that he wants to write. And I need other people to help me get into the position to allow that to happen. And it all starts with biblically correct thinking. When we sow a thought, we reap a behavior. When we sow a behavior, we reap character. And when we sow character, we reap a destiny. And the destiny of the church is to reach the world. When the biography, letter H in your notes there, when the biography of our church is written, I hope it says that we have reached every part of our world that we possibly could. Otherwise, I believe we failed as a church. I hope when we look from eternity backwards, 
and someone is trying to read about what the Pentecostals of New Britain did and how we existed. I hope they say that church fulfilled its mission. That church reached everybody that they could possibly reach. Amen. And so if we're going to do that, let our eye there, we must first begin to think the right way. I'm all for programs and events. And sometimes they work. But when the program works, it needs to result in disciples being made. If we're going to have a special service, I'm, I'm also, I, I love special events and I love special services, but they mean nothing if no disciple makers result from those efforts. We could have somebody come in here and pray everybody through to the Holy Ghost that, that didn't have it in a service, but if we don't retain any of them, we're not really being effective. We're not really fulfilling the Great Commission. Amen? Yes, it's great they got the Holy Ghost, but salvation is more than just getting the Holy Ghost. It's great that they got wet in the waters of baptism, and man, I hope they did it, and I hope they do it, and I, wanna, I, I wish we had to keep the waters in that tank all the time. I wish we could daily baptize people, and maybe one of these days we're going to get there. I believe that we could get there, but it doesn't matter if we don't keep them. Amen? Yes, sir. <laughs> Absolutely. So therefore, we have to have a, a paradigm shift. We have to have a, a, a shifting of our mindset, a change in our mindset. We, we've been conditioned as oneness apostolics in many cases to to think that, man, all I got to do is get somebody to get the Holy Ghost and then everything's going to be all right in their lives. And sometimes we tell people that, you know, if you just get the Holy Ghost, God's going to take care of everything and you'll never have another problem. Man, I wish that were true, but it ain't. <laughs> you know, you're, you're living in an alternative reality <laughs> if you're thinking that. Just because you got the Holy Ghost doesn't mean you're not going to have any problems. As a matter of fact, sometimes getting the Holy Ghost means you're going to have more problems. Because now you're opposing the enemy, whereas before you were kind of on his side. So he didn't have any reason to really attack you. Now he's got reason to attack you. Mm -hmm. Yes, sir. No, go ahead. Yes, sir. And don't think it's strange when you have a fiery trial, right? It's going to happen. So, now letter J there. Now, listen, every church is different. There's a church in Newington. Their church is different than ours. There's a church in West Hartford. Theirs is different than the one in Newington. There's a church in Southington. All churches very close to us. It's different. Um, than ours. It's different than the one in Newington and West Hartford. The church in Bristol is different than all of those. There, every church is different, and therefore each church's biography is going to be a little bit different. Because we may have different demographics. 
in our cities. We may have different strongholds that we face. There's different spiritual climates in, in different cities, in, in different churches. Have there, there's a different church. There's, there's another apostolic church. There's another UPC church in New Britain, and it's different than this one. And the demographics is different. Right? And so um, we've got differences. So God will inspire the local pastor and the leaders in each church as to how to best reach their their communities or their their target community. And then he places a congregation together. I'm at letter uh, number three there under letter J. He places a congregation together with unique gifts, qualities, skills, talents, resources, connections, and leadership that is equipped specifically in order to be able to produce fruit in that area. You're here because God put you here because he gave you specific skills and attributes and connections and, and abilities to reach a specific people that he wants us to reach. Amen? Now, while I do believe in sharing ideas and sharing information, number four is also true, that what works for one church might not work for another church. Look, I love getting together with other pastors and other ministers and saying, hey, what's working for you guys? What are, what are you guys doing that's working? But that doesn't mean it's going to work here. Um, I love reading books. Um, but there's times that I read a book somebody recommended for me, and I start reading it, and I can't, it, it, it does nothing for me. Doesn't mean it's not a good book, but maybe I'm not in the right season that I need to be in for that book. And so I'll put it back on the shelf. And Brother Gleason talks about that in his book as well. And I, it really, I'd really identified in that, you know, as I was reading this, the book Follow to Lead, it, and he talks about that, how there's times I get a book recommended, I start reading it, and then I, it just doesn't speak to me. So I put it back on the shelf. But there's going to come a season in my life where I may need to pull that book back down. And then it speaks to me, and I get something out of it. But So books are great, but every book that you read is not going to give you the right stuff to write your particular biography. The methodology for revival in our area is going to be different than the methodology for revival in other areas. Building a church is a whole lot different in the South and in the Midwest than it is in the Northeast. Plain and simple. It's a whole lot different. When I preach in Georgia, it's a whole lot different preaching in Georgia than it is preaching here. And that's nothing against us that's nothing against here i love preaching in our church and there's liberty to preach and I, I love it but there's just a different climate and it's just different preaching in other areas because you're dealing with a different climate you're different dealing with a different culture sometimes different demographics different expectations all this different stuff everywhere you go it's going to be different so you can't always do the same thing in every spot and expect to get the same results that's just not the way it works for instance Put it like this, uh, Moses gave God, or God gave Moses his mission at a burning bush. But Moses didn't go looking behind every bush for fire and, 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 and listen for at every bush he stopped for a voice. Just because, I mean, God spoke to him that way one time and never happened again. That's what was needed at that given point. But once he got to doing other things, he didn't need a burning bush anymore. So while biography, letter K there, while biography will be different, Theology must be the same. And I'm not just talking about doctrine, and we'll get to that a little bit, but before we can have the right practice, which is our biology, what we do, our culture, in the local congregation, we must first have the right theology. What I mean is it, it, it's not just about doctrine, um, although the doctrine needs to be right. 
Um, but I'm really talking about when I'm talking about our theology, I'm talking about the mindset, the culture, the, the, the culture we create for how we go about reaping that harvest. What is the theology of our church as it pertains to reaching souls? Does that make sense? Do you understand what I'm talking about? I'm not talking about theology like you're going to get a degree in biblical studies, although that's important. But in this case, we need to have the right theology when it comes to revival. A correct theology in our minds about revival will, pr will produce the correct biology in our lives and in our church that will produce revival. Amen? When we get the right theology and we allow our biography to flow from that theology, that's when we're going to see true revival. And I want to say that again because there's a lot in that statement. When I get the right theology or the right mindset, the right culture, the right idea about what revival really is and what it truly looks like, and when I allow my biography to flow from that theology, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he, when I allow my mind to get right, then my actions will then begin to show that, and it flows from my mindset, it flows from my theology, then I'm going to see true revival. Does that make sense? Do you understand that? All right, because I don't want to go further if we're not understanding that. As we said in the heading of this section, our thinking precipitates our behavior. Letter O in your notes, when I start thinking right, then my actions are going to line up. In very simple terms. Get my mind right, and everything else will follow. If my mindset is on discipleship, then I will start living a life that is characterized by discipling behaviors. I'll do things differently when I come to church every Sunday. So I'll get to you in just a second, Brother Vernon. Absolutely. If my mindset is on discipleship, I'm going to greet visitors. If my mindset is on discipleship, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to my neighbors. I'm going to talk to my coworkers about Jesus. I'm going to build relationships with them, friendships with them. That's how it really starts. You have to make a connection. I'm going to go out of my way on Sunday morning to make sure I greet that guest because they're important, because they're a future disciple maker. That needs to be my mindset, and it can't be just, and I make every effort, and I know Pastor Tryon makes every effort, and we need to do it. We're supposed to do it, and we're supposed to lead by example. But it can't be just Pastor and me and the other ministers that are, that are reaching out to people. Everybody needs to do it. My wife is teaching the youth tonight about, about um, how to create an inclusive environment or an inclusive culture amongst the young people. She's trying to teach them how to connect with other young people. That's a lost art in the today's world of social media, by the way. But we need to create that kind of culture. I'm sorry, Brother Vernon. I hope I didn't get too far past. I want to get your comments. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. So there are so many different things we can look at when we talk about revival. We talk about the fish and the net breaking revival and 
you know, God didn't do that and show them that so that they could uh, just make a profit out of it. They weren't fishermen anymore. They were following Jesus. He was proving a point to them that I'm going to bring in people and you're going to you're going to there are going to be so many people coming to you that that you're going you're going to have to figure out how to receive them. You're going to figure out how to welcome them. You're going to figure out how to get them back to the shore out of the deep waters that they're in. Does that make sense? You know, you've got to figure out how to not only catch them in the net, but get them to where they're going. I hope that helps a little bit. Uh, and, and yes, in just a second, Sister Ellen, I, I want to throw this out there um, as well. Um, Jesus said, make disciples of all nations. When he told them to cast their nets out there, the disciples had to be ready to catch whatever fish. I think I put that on Facebook today. They had to be ready to catch whatever fish went into the net. They couldn't pick and choose. When I go fishing, I'm almost always targeting largemouth, smallmouth bass. Brother Carlos went fishing today, caught some stripers and some catfish, um, and had a lot of fun. He sent me some pictures. It looked cool. I wish I could have been there with him. I don't know why he didn't invite me. Oh, my wife would have shot him if he invited me. I'm not, I'm not allowed to go fishing yet. No, I'm just joking, Brother Carlos. But I'm targeting a certain species, and sometimes I get upset if I catch something different. If I'm trying to catch bass, I don't like to catch little sunnies. I get frustrated sometimes. But we can't have that culture in the church. We have to be ready as a church to receive whatever. We, our, our job is to put the bait out there or put the net out there and receive whatever bites. Just the way it is. And if I, maybe if I had that mindset when I'm fishing, I wouldn't get so frustrated sometimes. But it's still fun to catch them no matter what. But that net, you know, we, we were trying to correlate that. Um, there's a lot of different correlations we can make, and we need to do a better job of that. And I don't really have time to get into it any further um, tonight, and I hope that kind of answers the question and, and helps make a connection between that, that, that type of revival. It, it's really, by the way, it's not about you and me. There's great benefits in being a disciple maker, but it's not about you and me. It's about the lost world that's out there. I mean, we've got this great treasure in earthen vessels, man. I want to share it with everybody. I need to have the love of Christ, and Jesus died for everybody. Amen? All right. Sister Ellen, you had a comment. I'm sorry. Absolutely. John said the greater love, well, not, not that. He said that. But he said, I have no greater joy. That's what it was. I'm sorry. No greater joy than to see that my children are serving the Lord in truth. And something along, I don't know the exact quote, but my greatest joy is when I can disciple others and see them following in that same, in that same thing. That, there's no greater reward than that. Amen? Anybody else? Yes, Sister Bronte. Yes. Yes. So let's define revival, right? Um, let me say this: we we talk about revival and harvest and use them as synonym, kind of synonymous terms, right? Um, sometimes we say revival when we really mean harvest. Jesus said, you know, you know, 
pray you therefore the Lord of harvest that he will send forth laborers into the harvest because you tell you look upon your eyes the field is already is white to harvest when we're bringing in souls that really is a harvest but there's also revival also includes awakening as you said it's it's reviving something if something is dead you revive it you're giving it life again well guess what we talk about sinners being dead in their sin we're reviving something in them so yes it's revival um, but harvest is also part of that so there, there's two sides of it does that does that make sense yeah Yes, yes, and if, yes, it, it is, it is, and it's a very good point, because I think many times we, we might confuse the two terms, because if you just take the straight definition of revival, and then you say harvest, but revival and harvest, we kind of use interchangeably, um, and kind of to mean the same thing in a sense, but it's really two different things kind of working together to bring about discipleship really that's really what it is 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 that pastors what is that the right (laughs) did you have it Yes, yes. Amen. And I mean, by that token, what we're doing right now is revival. We're not jumping and shouting and swinging from the chandeliers. But what we're doing right now is revival because we're trying to revive a culture that has kind of long been dead in the church, even in the Pentecostal, in the apostolic church. We we we've got the wrong idea of this, and we need to revive this mindset that we need to make disciples, not just get people filled with the Holy Ghost. Yes, Sister Maria. Absolutely right. And, and, and by the way, we, we bring in special speakers sometimes and we call it revival. That doesn't always mean we're going to have a whole bunch of people get the Holy Ghost. Sometimes we bring them in because we need to be revived. The old song, Revive Us Again. <laughs> I love that song. 
Sometimes we need to sing songs that give me that old-time religion because sometimes we need to get back to that, that old-time religion. Amen? You know, we, we need to get back to some of the basics. We need to get back to the book of Acts the way they did it. And I'm, not, I, and I'm thankful for a lot of the technology and the things that we have and the conveniences that we have, but, you know, we, we, we've gotten a little bit too comfortable sometimes. And so, therefore, we need, we need an evangelist to come in and stir us up. And sometimes we get too comfortable with the voice of the shepherd. So you got to get somebody else to come in and speak to us. But have you ever noticed that when an evangelist comes in, many times he's preaching the same thing that the pastor's been preaching for the last three months? Why? Because you didn't receive it from the shepherd. Or, not to be all negative about it, maybe it's just to reinforce and to confirm or to affirm to us all that, yes, we're on the right track. Amen? And that's all part of revival. Very good point. Thank you. Yes, yes. Yeah. Yes. It's amazing how God can be saying the same thing to different people across the world in different places. I mean, even just people I'm friends with on Facebook, you know, pastor, I preach a message, and, 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 and then somebody else will post something on Facebook about what their pastor preached, and I'm like, whoa, hey, that's cool, you know, or, or you know, we'll preach something on, on Sunday morning, and the Sunday school teachers will come back and say, I was teaching on that exact same thing. You know, it happens all the time, and that's just the way God does things. All right, so now, discipleship, Roman numeral number three there in your notes, discipleship should come naturally. Letter A, when a, when a baby is born, it cannot survive on its own. So the natural process of parenthood and human growth and development is a model of discipleship. So let me ask you this, and don't cheat by looking ahead in your notes again, but how does parenting model discipleship? Sister Brenda. I'm sorry? Oh, yeah, yeah, right, those little creatures, yes. Well, go ahead, Sister Brenda. By the way, as a parent, there is no more important disciple in your life than the ones that are in your home. The children that you're raising as a parent, those are the most important disciples that you have in front of you right right now. Amen. And by the way, they see all the good, bad, and ugly of you, so you need to be conscious of it. Sister Alicia, did you have a comment? I see your hand. Years ago when I was the um, Sunday school secretary here in the district, um, I, I got a call one time 
from uh, one of our um, other pastors in the district, and he said, I just want to share a story with you. Um, I have a little kind of a glitch in my knee. Um, I have no cartilage in my knee, and every now and then when I'm walking, I'll kind of swing my, and you've noticed the way I walk sometimes, I'll, I'll kind of swing my, my leg out or I'll do this. I'll, you know, I, kinda, I have a little bit different kind of walk in the, way that in the way that I walk. Well, um, when I was a Sunday school secretary and when I was a camp counselor, um, there were kids that are now, they're you know, adults now or getting close to being adults, but their sons were, were aping my walk all the time. <laughs> You know, and it's something that I don't even think about, you know, and, you know, but they were, they would, they would mimic my walk. And one of them told his dad, I'm doing it because, you know, I, I want to be like him. And so if, if, if I'm going to be like him, I need to learn how to walk like him. <laughs> yeah. And so, of course, he, you know, is like, you don't have to walk physically like him. But I mean, it made me feel good. But that's part of being a disciple, right? Yeah. Kids see it even when you, they see things you don't even think they see. And they hear things you don't even think they hear. Guess what? New converts are the same way. <laughs> Anybody else? How does parenthood relate to discipleship? How does it model it? Yes, Brother Milton. Yes, absolutely. That's part of it. Yes, absolutely. It includes correction with love and discipling. Discipling is correction is part of discipling. Yes, absolutely. Sister Ellen and then and then Brother Vernon. Absolutely. And we mentioned that already that, you know, sometimes it's what we do is more important than what we say. It's, it's the example that we show and that's discipleship. Brother Vernon. Whether you like it or not, you're a disciple maker. Did you hear that? Okay. Always. Especially in your home. But within the church. Absolutely. Sister Lisa, did I see your hand earlier? Or Okay, absolutely. Yes. Yes. Child is going to be corrected, but then the child needs to submit to that correction. Ab absolutely. Yes, sir. The church does need more. It always needs more prayer, fasting, and unity. Absolutely. And, and if we all discipling, then we'll be in, in unity. We'll see that. Absolutely. 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 Yes. Uh, absolutely. You know, we're, th there is no discipleship without prayer and fasting. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> Jesus even said, when you fast, not just if you fast. He said, when you fast, right? And he said, men are always to pray. So absolutely, 100%. Pastor, did I see your hand?
Absolutely. And that's the point. I'm not just trying to get people saved and, and, and get them to heaven. I want them to take somebody with them. My dad used to say the, the one thing that's better than going to heaven is taking somebody with you. And that's what we all ought to want to do is, is not only get somebody else to heaven, but get them to get more people to heaven. And that's, that's how revival really happens. All right. Did I see another hand over here? We're talking about parenting. Okay. We're, we're going to move on. All right. Without the contribution. So let me say this. Parental protect, protection, teaching, admonition, exampling, all these things we said, love, are, are the contributing factors which ensure the survival of the child. Let her see there, without contributions from the parents, the child will not survive. And it's true in the an animal kingdom as well as it is in humanity, and it's the same in the church. Obeying Acts 2.38 is just the fulfillment of the new birth experience that's required for all believers. We're not going to read it, but John 3, 3 through 5, Jesus says you've got to be born again, and you've got to be born of water and spirit. That's the new birth. That's how we get into the kingdom. Um, letter G, when someone is baptized, when they receive the Holy Ghost, they're just entering into a new way of life. They're a baby at that point, a spiritual baby. And, and letter H, things are going to be changing and changing quickly for that baby, just like a, a little baby is. Second Corinthians 5.17 says that we need to be, when we get in Christ, we're going to be new creatures. Everything's going to become new. Things are changing. And so letter I there, and I'm trying to hurry a little bit so we can get through this. They must go through, new converts must go through the process of growth and development just as any newborn baby has to go through. And without teaching and discipleship from those in the family, the new convert has no chance of survival in the kingdom of God. Discipleship is not solely the responsibility of the pastor. Discipleship is not only up to the one who brought the person to church or taught them the Bible study. And by the way, if you did bring someone to church and you did teach them a Bible study, it doesn't stop when they get the Holy Ghost and get baptized. You should continue to disciple them. But I found that it takes a village. And I was al I've also found in the process of raising four children uh, that the younger ones learn good and bad <laughs> from the older ones. And it's no different in the church. We are all responsible for discipling others. If you are, and I want you to get this point, highlight it if you have to, you know, underline it, write it down again somewhere, put it on Facebook, whatever you need to do, letter in there in your notes. If you are a part of this church, when someone is born again, you suddenly become partially responsible for their growth and development. Every one of you, I don't care how long you've been in the church. If someone were to receive the Holy Ghost right now, in this place, right here and right now, you become partially responsible for their growth and development. You may not ever actually teach them a Bible study. You may not ever teach them anything on purpose. But as Brother Vernon said, you're going to be a disciple maker anyway because your example speaks loudly. New converts, just like children, are going to look around at others and you're going to be one of the ones they see. So what kind of example are you setting? Yes, Brother Andres. Mm -hmm. That's a good point. Absolutely. I, I was going to say, I was trying to figure out how to word it, because I was thinking it is, and I'm glad you kind of said it that way, but 
you know, many times they're going to try to find somebody that's like them in a sense. Um, and sometimes it's just so they can feel better about what they're doing. Oh, boy, I don't have time to go down that rabbit hole. But are you cognizant that you are a living epistle? We also talk, often talk about that because, you know, when we're out on the street, we're out on our job and we're in our schools and we're in the grocery store, we're a living epistle and people are reading that and whatever. But we're living epistles not just to the unsaved, but also to those younger than us in the church. You are a living epistle to the new converts. They're looking to you for direction and leadership, whether you know it or not, and whether you like it or not, as Brother Vernon said. Roman numeral number four, the theology of discipleship. We really got to try to finish this up. Letter A, Jesus gave us the right theology when he commanded us to go make disciples of all nations. So as the apostolic church, let her be there, we have the correct theology of salvation and Godhead and apostolic identity, including a lifestyle of holiness. We've got that down. But do we have the right theology when it, when it comes to revival and harvest? And we've been talking about that. That's what we're talking about. And I'm glad that Sister Veronica brought that up, that we, 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 we revival and harvest, and we were able to clear up that and, and really define what we're talking about. Look at this, letter C. Sometimes tradition gets in the way of right theology. And we talked about this a little bit, so I'm going to kind of just phase, phase through it really quickly. Our tradition is let's get as many baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost as we can. <laughs> That's great. I want to do that. But without a tradition of disciple-making, we're soon going to lose many of those that we once counted as saved. So real quick, what are some other traditions we might have in the church that are not as effect, not, not really effective in ushering in true revival, even though we think they might be. Anybody got any ideas about that? What other traditions do we have that we, we do that are they really, and maybe not just in this church, but just in church in general? How about, so l let me, the, the author of the book brings up this, this idea of, you know, there are some churches that, that use hymnals, and if they go to another church and there's no hymnals, they think that church is backslidden. But the, the, the opposite is true as well. We don't use hymnals. We put our, our, our words up on the, on the slides, and, 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 and there are people in, in you know, in, in apostolics that say, well, that's a tradition of the, of the other churches, the denominal churches, and using a hymnal is wrong, and you're all going to hell if you use a hymnal. So these types of traditions aren't really productive. They're not, they're not effective. They don't really help us with revival. If you want to use a hymnal, use a hymnal. If you, you know, use a screen, use a technology that's, that, that's given to you. It, there's nothing wrong with that as long as you use it wisely. Correct? Um, you know, we, we talk a lot about tarrying for the Holy Ghost, and I agree that you need to help people and pray with them as long as they want to pray, but in the Bible, they got the Holy Ghost while the preacher was preaching. In the Holy Ghost, they got the Bible where they were sitting. I mean, in the Bible, in the Holy Ghost, in the, in the Bible, they got the Holy Ghost where they were sitting while they were being spoken to, right? I mean, you know, uh. Philip went and preached to a, a eunuch on a, on a chariot, and he got the Holy Ghost in the chariot. And then got baptized in an in a oasis in the desert. And then after this beautiful baptistry, just, you know, there's water, let me baptize him. Brother Vernon. Yes. Yes. And, and I agree that, I mean, hey, I'm willing to pray for you as long as is a need if you're, if you're going to get the Holy Ghost, but... I don't think Tarian has to be the culture or has to be the tradition that we follow because if God's ready to give it and you're ready to receive it, it shouldn't take that long. 
Amen? Tarry. Tarry means to wait. And, and Jesus told the disciples to tarry in Jerusalem or to wait in Jerusalem until they'd be endued with power on high. And a lot of people have taken that and said, you know, you've got to tarry people until they get the Holy Ghost in churches and over until everybody gets the Holy Ghost. And I've really seen it literally be that way. And, and I'm not beating up anybody that says that, but that's not necessarily a tradition. Because you know, eventually you're just going to wear people out. All right, and again, I don't, I'm not trying to speak negative, but right. what about, oh yeah, Brother, Ver, brother, brother, brother Andres, <laughs> sorry. I've called on Brother Vernon so much, I, Brother Andres. <laughs> don't get me started, but yes. Yes, our personal traditions or my personal convictions about certain things might not necessarily be something that needs to be given to the whole church. If it's scripture, I'm going to preach it. If it's my personal thing, then I, you know, I might teach you a principle about it. I might tell you why. I might testify you about it. But I'm not going to say you've got to live the exact way I'm living if there's a, a personal thing. But if it's scriptural and there's principles behind it, then we're going we're gonna to live to that. So you know, my, my personal tradition, just because, just because you want to have an Easter egg hunt and I don't, doesn't necessarily mean you're going to hell and I'm going to heaven. Oh, boy. I'm going to mess somebody up now. Don't, don't stone me. Don't throw rotten tomatoes at me. If I put a Christmas tree up in my house and you don't in your house, you're going to hell and I'm going to heaven. And that's wrong. We can't be. Strike that from the recording. No, I'm just <laughs> that, you know, we, we have to. There, there are certain things. Yeah, we, we don't need to argue about stuff like that, right? Let's stick to the scripture, right, and, and, and focus on that. Let's make disciples and let's get them going. Sister Veronica. It is Jesus within us, and it is his power working in us, yes. Yeah, and the Bible says that the Holy, the Comforter, yes, the Comforter, which is the Spirit of Truth, and the Holy Ghost is the Comforter, it will lead and guide you into all truth, and it'll also bring back to your remembrance everything that Jesus taught, everything that you've learned. It's gonna, it's gonna bring that back. And so, um, by the way, the Holy Ghost is never gonna tell you something that goes against the Word of God, because the Holy Ghost is the Spirit of God, and He's the one that wrote the book. So, so your personal convictions, your personal traditions. Sometimes it's better kept to yourself. Yes, Brother Carlos. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> All right, Sister Ellen, we've we, we got to try to move on, but. Absolutely. And, and that's part of discipleship, but we'll get that as we get further into, the, into this series. Yeah, people grow at different rates. And, and by the way, while you're discipling one person, you're probably discipling somebody else. And you should be discipling people at different levels. And you should be also actively being discipled as well or being mentored as well. All right, we're going to get into all that later. Brother Carlos, did, you, did it come back? Holy Ghost brought it to your remembrance. No. <laughs>
man, we keep making these comments. It could be a, a lesson all in of himself, but absolutely right. Um, I can't follow the leading of the spirit if, if my flesh is speaking louder than the spirit is. Amen. Amen. We got we got to move on. So let me just throw uh, something out there. There's traditions that we, we, we like to and we might not call them traditions necessarily, but but we have these mindsets of these traditions that ministry only happens inside the doors of the church. Or only licensed ministers can actually do the work of the ministry. Or that preaching and teaching in the pulpit is the only ministry that there is. Those are traditions that I would consider counterintuitive to revival. Because that's not revival. And that's not really the way it was supposed to be. That's not the way it was in the early church. Not all traditions are bad. And you can look at Thessalonians 2.15. There are certain traditions we should hold fast to. But some traditions are a hindrance rather than a help. And we need to learn to discern between the two. For instance, fellowship is a crucial part of discipleship. It was a critical part of the success of the early church. And I'm not going to read the scriptures right there, but in Acts 2, it talks about them being steadfast in doctrine and in breaking of bread and prayers. And then um, and then they were they continued daily with one accord, uh, breaking bread from house to house, eating their meat with with gladness and singleness of heart, so on and so forth. So doctrine and fellowship were both continued in along with breaking bread and prayers. Now, fellowship and breaking bread are mentioned separately. We, we often try to say that breaking bread is fellowship when, you know, um, but it really, they're not exactly the same thing. Um, going out to friendlies for ice cream after the church is just a part of the idea of fellowship. If you want to take me to friendlies for ice cream, I'll, I'll, I'll go with you, and that's, pe- fel- that's part of fellowship, but that's not all of it. Sister Ellen, quickly, I'm trying to get through this, but yeah. Oh, hallelujah, yes, yes. The word fellowship is the Greek word koinonia, which has several layers of meaning. The first layer is community or joint participation. I want you to key in on that joint participation. The doctrine of fellowship refers to joint participation. We work together. We are not alone. That is why Paul often uses the analogy of the human body as it pertains to the church. I pray, you pray, we pray. I work, you work, we work. I teach, you teach, we teach. I reach, you reach, we reach. We don't like to talk about this, but I hurt, you hurt, we hurt. I cry, you cry, we cry. But guess what? I laugh, you laugh, we laugh. I rejoice, you rejoice, we rejoice. That's what fellowship is. Um, And also, the other layer of fellowship means an intimate bond which unites a group together. The doctrine of fellowship, and and Brother Eduardo mentioned it, that it, it refers to unity. There is a bond that we share that is supposed to unite us in cause, purpose, and commitment. There's nothing like being in the foxhole with somebody. You, you get dirty with somebody and do some hard labor with someone or, or get into a crisis situation with somebody, and you guys come out on the other side of it together and you overcome together, there is no better bond than that. And guess what? That's what we do as a church. Amen. You carry my burdens and I carry your burdens and that's what we do. That kind of bond is only created when we not only have things in common, like we believe the same thing, but when we spend time together. Yes, Brother Andres. Absolutely. Now, I mean, we could just go out for ice cream and have fun. 
that's not really fellowship. I mean, it, it's 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 not all of fellowship. It's not all that it, you know. Th- there should be some constructive things to it. it disip- fellowship is part of discipleship. So when I'm fellowshipping, there ought to be some discipleship going on. And guess what? We're all busy, right? So I need to take advantage of every opportunity I've got. So if, if Brother Andres and I are going out for coffee, then there ought to be some discipleship going on there. There ought to be some mentoring going on there. There ought to be some encouraging going on there, some building up. And that's what Brother Andres is trying to say, I believe, right? Correct. Um, so a couple minutes after church on Sunday morning is not all there is to fellowship. By the way, I'm glad you love one another. And I'm glad you love to talk to one another after church. But I would much rather you talk to our visitors after church and hook up with each other later. Amen. Did I make you mad when I said that? And I want to talk to you too, but I'd rather talk to our visitors after church on Sunday morning because we see each other more often. And if you don't have my phone number and you need it and you need to call me, I'll give it to you because I'm here for you and I'm here to serve you. And I'll be there to help you and, and, and that's fine. But on Sunday morning... It, it, don't don't feel offended if 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 I kind of brush you off so I can go talk to a visitor. I'll come back to you if I can. If I don't, just give me a call and, and we'll pick back up. And I apologize in advance if and I don't mean to brush you off and I don't mean it because I don't love you because I'm here to serve you as well. But on Sunday morning, I need to reach the visitors and the guests that we have as well. And you should be doing the same thing. Call me later. I'll make time for you. I promise. Okay, I'm putting myself out there. I will. I promise. As long as it doesn't get in, in the way of me ministering to my family, I'll, I'll, I'll make time for you. They come first. Yeah, Brother Carlos, I'd, I'd like to say as long as we can get away my fishing time, but I'd like to say that, but yeah, you, you know, I might call you after I get back from fishing, but I'll call you back and we'll get together. All right. Fellowship, yes, hold on just a second, Brother Vernon. Fellowship should extend beyond the walls of the church. Amen. All of this that we're talking about, it can't happen just here. It needs to happen other places as well. Yes, sir, Brother Vernon. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Being hospitable. That that's and, and my wife taught a wonderful lesson on hospitality not too long ago. And and, and we don't even have time to get through <laughs> to get through all of this, but let's just finish up. Joint contribution. This is the other layer of fellowship. Is joint contribution that serves as a proof of fellowship, joint contribution, and and I put this on Facebook um, along the lines of one of the quotes that's there. But fellowship is a mutual contribution from all parties. And this is what I put on Facebook: the proof of your fellowship is found in what you contribute. And I'm not talking necessarily about money, although that is part of it. But the proof of my fellowship with the church and the body of Christ is how much do I contribute to the body of Christ? Don't expect to get a lot out of it if you're not putting a lot into it. Boy, oh boy. I'm trying to close and I'm trying to finish this up, but listen. I'm not here to save you. Pastor is not here to save you. We're here to help you. We're here to guide you, and we'll talk about that more the next time we meet because we're going to have to finish this up. The job of, of the ministry is to equip you and train you and get you ready to feed yourself. Pastor preached a pretty pretty strong message not too long ago about how you need to learn how to feed yourself. <laughs> Expecting us to feed you all the time. You need to be feeding yourself, and then you need to feed others. 
And you can't always expect everybody else to carry you on their coattails all the time. You can't get to heaven on my coattails or pastor's coattails or your mama's coattails. I can't take you to heaven with me. I can only show you how to get there and, and lead the way and lead by example and hopefully you follow. But it's up to you to take the steps. Amen. We're going to finish up this section, but the net breaking revival in Luke five was experienced by men who were in fellowship with one another. We don't have time to really get into it, but the word partner, because Peter and James and John were partners, that word partner is the same koinonia word of fellowship. And so even the business world understands the importance of fellowship and partnership. There's benefits to everybody that's involved. Fellowship in scripture. And this is part of this is uh, part of the quote from the book. Fellowship in scripture refers to a mutual and common exchange of hearts faith, and experience. And that simply does not happen on Sundays in America. Brother, Brother Gleason said that in his book. That's what church really is, and that's what fellowship really is. We need to have a mutual exchange of hearts, faith, and experience. And you can't just do that coming together, singing a few songs, hearing a message, and then going out. Right? That's why we got to get together outside these walls. It takes more than a couple of meetings each week of hearing some anointed preaching and teaching. And I'm thankful that we have anointed preaching and teaching in this church. I'm not just talking about myself. Our pastor, very anointed preacher, anointed teacher. Um, our other ministers do a great job. And, and there's anointing uh, that's there, and it's awesome, and we need that. But that is not enough to create fellowship. And I'm glad we do the fellowship classes on Sunday nights. This lesson is part of you know, what we're trying to do. The discipleship is part of why we do those. But even that's not enough. We still need to be doing more. Outside the church. True fellowship should take place primarily outside the four walls of a church. I love it when we have potlucks. I love it when we get together and eat meals together, you know, and we have things here at the church. But true fellowship is more than just what happens here. And it's more than what happens on Sunday and Wednesdays. It needs to happen all every day. Fellowship ought to be a part of your life. It ought to be a spiritual discipline. We talk about spiritual discipline. We talk about prayer and fasting and, and all those things are important. Um, prayer and fasting and reading your word and doing all those things, church attendance, those are and tithing, those are all those are spiritual disciplines, right? Giving to the to the work of God. Those are spiritual disciplines. Well guess what? So is fellowship. You need to discipline yourself to do it. And you'll be more effective. Amen. We're gonna we're gonna close. Any any final questions or comments real quick? Yes. I was going to ask you to close anyway, Brother Vernon, so um, in, in prayer. So make this comment, and then you can just close us in prayer. Let's, let's stand, and, and Brother Fernand, why don't you go ahead and pray, and if you don't mind, and uh, close us in prayer we, along those lines.
Amen. So we'll, we'll, we'll finish this lesson. Um, it, it's, we should be able to get through it. Thank you for your discussion tonight. All of your input is truly appreciated. It made us go not be able to finish the lesson all the way, but everything that was said, I think, brought out what needed to be needed to be brought out. And so thank you. We appreciate that. That's how we fellowship. That was fellowship. That was part of fellowship. Now let's go and fellowship and do this outside the church. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed in Jesus' name.